Okay, well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you guys. My name's Kevin Reichley. I'm one of the elders here at Wayside. And this morning, you know, obviously Ben is not here. So he, him and Stacy and family are, are uh, driving around the country. Last I heard, they were in Zion National Park. Park City now. Okay, they are living, living it up on the road. So uh, the next few weeks, you'll see some of the elders up here preaching, which is an honor. We're, we're going to be uh, back in Acts this morning, Acts chapter 14, and, and we're really going to actually unpack this, this really neat picture where we see the end of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, and it's, uh, you know, on the surface you wouldn't think, oh man, that's really applicable to our lives, but it really is this morning, so please, please pay attention, because I think there's a lot of good nuggets we can take from that this morning. So um, I'm going to, fla- Nathan's going to flash an a, a image up here, a map. And uh, for the last four or five weeks, we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, and it's been filled with highs and lows. And ultimately, this, this first journey would last over two years. It would cover over 1,500 miles, as you can see kind of the route that they took there. Um, so they started off with, uh, in Cyprus, and that was where Barnabas was from. You see the little island down there. That's where Barnabas was from. They made their way to Perga, and if you guys remember, this is where John Mark left them. And um, we talked about that. They made their way to Antioch in Pisidia, and that's where Paul recounted uh, God's faithfulness to the Israelites, and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then so much so that the whole city turned out, if you guys remember, the whole city turned out the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear what they said, but the Jewish leaders were filled with jealousy uh, as Paul and Barnabas proclaimed that the gospel was also for the Gentiles. Okay, so that was, that was something where the Jewish leaders, they, they didn't like that. And so they, they were jealous. They were driven out of the city. They went to Iconium. There they shared the gospel. Many Jews and Greeks uh, came, to, came to faith. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and they were attempting to stone them. Okay, so they were attempting to stone them. Paul and Barnabas learned about this, and then they fled to Lystra and Derbe, where they continued to preach the gospel. And as we saw last week uh, in Lystra, Paul heals a lame man. The crowds think that Paul and Barnabas are gods, right? They even gave them names, Zeus and Hermes, they called them. And they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And they said, no, no, guys, we're we're just men like you are. Uh, But Jews from Antioch and Iconium came. They persuaded the crowds, and they ended up stoning Paul. They dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. And uh, miraculously, he came back and rose up, and he went with Barnabas to Derby the next day to preach the gospel in that city. So that's where we pick up the story this morning. So you guys can see kind of the route that they take uh, all the way to um, basically the blue line is where we are today. And today I'm going to talk about the red line. So Derby back to where they were launched in Antioch. But um, yeah, it's going to be a fun morning. So some of you guys know this. I got a chance to coach Jude in basketball in the winter, and for me, this was, this was big time, right? I've coached the kids a little bit in soccer and in flag football, and I, but I never played those sports growing up, so I, I'm not very good at them. I felt like I didn't have much to offer, but, but basketball was my sport. I played that growing up. I studied it. I practiced it. I loved the game, so I was really excited to coach Jude and Ryder and the other kids on this team, and uh, Jude's just now getting into the sport, so he doesn't know a lot. So I was working with him a lot, started working with him at home on dribbling and shooting technique and layup drills and all these things. Well, I think it was probably the, maybe the third or fourth game, and, and finally he took a shot from about five feet away, and, and he sank it, right? He nailed the shot. And, uh, you know, I was so proud of him. I could just see he looked right at me when he made it. He looked right at me, and he was just beaming with pride. And... Um, you know, but what if I, as the coach, what if I at that point 
like walked off the court. What if I just walked off the court and I was like, my job is done here. Like he is, he is no doubt going to the NBA, right? He just sank that shot. I'm good, right? That, that would be ridiculous if I did that, right? If I walked off the court at that point after he sank that shot and was like, he's good. He doesn't need any more coaching. But what it actually did, it actually fueled my desire to t- teach him more because he had made that shot and he was so proud of himself and he wanted to work hard to get better. It actually fueled my desire to pour more into him from a basketball perspective. But unfortunately, that's what happens uh, with people in churches and ministries. That's what they do when someone comes to faith. Think about this. Uh, They celebrate a new believer and they kind of move on, right? And you see this a lot. If you guys get these impact reports from these various ministries, you'll read, man, this many people heard the gospel, Thousands, right? Thousands of people heard the gospel. Well, 95% of them came to faith. So thousands more came to faith. But what you typically don't see is how those new believers were followed up on, how they were discipled, how they were made more stable, maturing Christians that also go on to make more disciples, right? So Chuck Smith, this quote's going to come up. He was an American pastor. He said that he said it this way. He said, I think that one of the weaknesses of modern-day evangelism is the lack of follow-up. It's, a rather, it's rather tragic to bring people to a birth in Jesus Christ, but don't carry them on into a mature state. And that has been one of the great weaknesses of the church today. And that's what's so beautiful about today's passage. We, we get to see Paul and Barnabas, they go and do exactly that. They go and do exactly that. They double back to these cities that they visited to strengthen these new believers, these people that had just come to faith. And take note, this was not the easy road. If, Nathan, if you could put that map back up. If you look at the map, it would have been a lot easier. So they're in Derby. They need to go to Antioch. It would have actually been a lot easier to go by foot to back to Antioch, right, rather than the direction that they went. And guess what? Paul was from Tarsus. Ben mentioned this last week. Paul was from Tarsus. That was his hometown. That would have been pretty neat for him, I think, to go back and visit, visit his family in Tarsus. Um, but they did not take the easy road back. Um, they, they literally returned to these cities where Paul was stoned to death, where there were plots to kill them, where they were run out of town. So not exactly the route that most people would have taken, but they understood just how important it was to follow up and strengthen these new believers in the faith. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. As new believers here, what we're talking about today, or longstanding believers, a number of us in the room have been believers for a long time. We all need to be strengthened in our faith, and we need to continue to grow in spiritual maturity. So we're going to see today in our passage, believers need to be strengthened uh, through three things. The first is discipleship, so we'll talk about that. The second is under the guidance of a church body and pastoral leadership. So we'll unpack that a little bit. And then the third thing is uh, believers need to be strengthened through celebration in Christ. So we need to be disciples. We need to make disciples that are growing in faith. And these things are really, really critical to doing that. So we're going to jump in. The first thing we see, believers need to be strengthened through discipleship. So we'll see this right away in verse 21. We see Paul and Barnabas return to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Again, these were the cities where they were just, had just encountered this really intense persecution. And what did they do in those cities? Well, verse 22 tells us. Verse 22 says this, They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, most of you guys also know the, the Matthew 28 verse. It's one of the more famous verses out there, the Great Commission. And it says this. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, typically when people think of the Great Commission, they think about going, right? Going to the nations, going to the nations. But did you catch that? Did you catch what it said there? It said, not only is the command to go, but to go and make disciples. And then it, uh, we don't often couple that with the next verse, but the next, very next verse says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? So we aren't just called to go and share. Those things are really, really important. We're not just called to go and share, but we're called to go and share and teach to make disciples of Jesus. Now think about Jesus calling his first disciples. You guys probably remember this as well. He didn't say to Peter and Andrew, he didn't say, hey, come, believe in me, right? What did he say? He said, come, follow me, come, follow me. What do you mean by that? He meant learn from me. Understand my teachings, understand my ways. That's what he meant by follow me, right? So Jesus, when he first called his disciples, come, follow me. He's talking about this discipleship, this learning aspect. And I actually love Elias and, and Taylor, that perfect song, keep on moving, keep on speaking, keep on turning my eyes to see what you see. I am listening, I am learning that I am yours. That, that verse really struck with me, so thank you guys for playing that song. Um, It is about this discipleship aspect, learning, listening to what God has to teach us. And, um, you know, here's an interesting stat that I came across, too. It's in the King James Version of the New Testament. So the King James Version of the New Testament, the word believer, the word believer is mentioned two times, two times. The word disciple is mentioned 272 times, okay? 272 times disciple is used in the New Testament of the King, King James Version of the New Testament. So you can see this importance that's placed on discipleship once someone comes to faith. So in our verse today, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And that simply means they were further instructing the new Christians in their faith. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas would go on to encourage them to continue in the faith and warn them, warn them about the trials they would encounter as a Christian. Right, and obviously here they're speaking from personal experience. They've um, they've wit- witnessed and experienced a lot of persecution as Christians, and they knew that these new believers would be ripe for opposition and persecution. So they wanted to encourage them with teaching and tell them that Jesus is worth the trials that they would surely face. Now, again, as believers, either brand new believers to the faith or people that have walked, believers that have walked with Jesus for a long, long time, we all need these things. We need brothers and sisters to come alongside us to teach us and encourage us to fight through these trials and tribulations for the glory that awaits us. And here's a really important point. Until we leave this earth, until we leave this earth, all of us, we have spiritual growth opportunities. We can't be content to coast or we'll miss out on what Jesus has for us or can do through us. So friends, we, we all need to be discipled regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey. I've talked about this fact in a sermon before, but when I came to faith, four guys named uh, Peter, John, Andrew, and Paul, Peter, John, Andrew, and Paul, of course, they were named that, scooped me up and they discipled me, right? But what did that mean? What, what did discipled me mean? It meant, well, they opened the scriptures with me. They answered the questions that I had as a new believer. I had a lot of questions. Uh, They showed me who Christ was through his word. They showed me who Christ was through praying together, uh, sharing sin and struggling together. That's that's what they did with me. And they were a lot like Paul and Barnabas in our passage today. They were strengthening my soul 
and they were encouraging me to continue in my faith. Now, this is what biblical discipleship looks like. And guess what? There's never a time in our lives as believers where we don't need this. One of the best things that I did last year, I mentioned this as well, was I went and sought out someone that was older than me, that was in the next phase of their life, that uh, was an empty nester. And I said, hey, will you be my spiritual mentor? Like, I, I, I need to know that I, how you got through this phase, right? What did you do? What are the things you did wrong? What are the things you did great? What kind of insight and wisdom do you have for me? And it was, it's been such a huge blessing to be able to go to him and share my sin struggles and talk about it and just get his insight, right? Or somebody that has walked through that, who's walked with the Lord through that and provide wisdom from his experiences. I love meeting with the wayside guys, um, that we, we talk through scripture together, we share and we fight sin together. We pray for each other. Uh, I love Tuesday mornings. I love getting together and doing that. Um, this is a really important point. There is no finish line for spiritual maturity as a Christian. There's no finish line for spiritual maturity as a Christian on earth. And just like the new believers in our passage today, we need to be strengthened and encouraged constantly and consistently. So a really simple application for you guys today on this. If you're not in a discipleship group, this summer, please make time for that. If you're not in a discipleship group, please make time for it. Summer is typically a time filled with rest. T- summer is typically a time filled with unstructured schedules. Um, but the tendency, so the tendency for us is to take a break or to hit pause until things kind of even back out, right? But Ben mentioned this last week. Let's fight against that together. Let's fight against that. We really want to see everyone continue to grow spiritually this summer even if you have to miss a week here and there. Now, now listen to this too. I know people like to be discipled differently. They have different preferences. If you would rather be discipled one-on-one, can you please let me or another elder or Amanda know that? Um, we all need to be growing in our faith through teaching and encouragement and prayer. It's one of the most important things we can do for ourselves, for our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our community. So I really want us to all make that a priority, not just in summer, but um, for the rest of the year too. Okay, the next thing we see is that believers need to be strengthened under the guidance of a church body and pastoral leadership. So I really want to unpack this one today too, because I think it's really important. Disciples are connected to and committed to a church, which is the body of Christ. And churches have leadership with the responsibility for care and oversight of the church. We see this in verse 23. So if we pull that up, it says this. It says, And when they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so elder is just another name for a pastor or an overseer, someone whose charge is to shepherd the congregations. Now, the church is established by Paul followed followed this synagogue pattern of leadership with a plurality of elders so multiple multiple elders but but get this eldership wasn't wasn't this new structure eldership was around back in the old testament it existed uh, throughout the history of israel they were a group of senior tribal leaders entrusted to make these really important decisions we see elders back in exodus 3 all the way back in exodus 3 during the time of israel's captivity in egypt We see cities governed by elders and elders helping to establish a king in 1 Samuel. And we know that the New Testament has a lot to say about elders, mainly in the book of Acts, Titus, 
1 Timothy, and 1 Peter. So, so eldership within a church is an important aspect for believers' spiritual growth. Now, God, through Paul and Barnabas, knew these new believers in these cities needed pastoral leadership. So much so that Paul and Barnabas were willing to risk their lives going back into these cities to establish these leaders. These would be men that could continue to strengthen and encourage the new believers in the face of what was going to be certain persecution. Now think about the men that were being asked to take on this role and this responsibility. Most of these guys had probably just come to faith, right? They probably, they'd probably were a little bit hesitant or resistant to take on the eldership uh, responsibility. You know, I could just see them in their heads going, I'm not qualified for that. These guys literally just became believers. But we also see that Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted over these men. They committed them to the Lord to give them all they needed to lead these new churches. So I think that's just a really beautiful picture of trusting God for spiritual growth and maturity. I remember when uh, Ben and Jason took uh, Chris and I through, through elder training about five years ago. We spent almost a year digging into the qualifications of elders. And I, want, I just want to flash this up. This is crazy, but um, this is what First Timothy says about qualified elders. All right, pay attention to this list. It's a doozy. Uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So I think I counted at least 15 things there, uh, probably more. <clears throat> As I mentioned, we spent almost a year picking apart exactly what each of these qualifications meant and examining ways that we could grow in these. Um, and, and man, do you want to talk about a humbling experience? If, you just, if that list I just read to you, going through those, examining those in our lives, what they meant uh, was a re- very humbling experience, but it was also rich and impactful. Uh, it was rich and impactful. It highlighted the gravity of what being an elder charged with shepherding and pastoring a local church meant. Now, I can picture, I can picture these men that Paul and Barnabas picked feeling similarly to how, how Chris and I probably felt. It shows how much God cares about biblically qualified elders helping to shepherd and disciple believers in the church. Now, even today, as I read that, as I read that passage, I still cringe a little um, when I read that. But I know God has used my role as an elder to grow me in my love for him and his church. So as an application, I want to give an ask and a challenge on this one. First, would you please lean into pastoral leadership at Wayside? Would you lean into it? What do I mean by that? Well, it's an honor to come alongside you in your spiritual growth. But if you need anything could you please feel free to reach out to our elders or our women's leadership team? We take these roles very, very seriously. Uh, We're here for you. And please know that we're constantly praying for you as well, for your spiritual growth. Um, It's one of the most important things we do as uh, as a leadership team. As an ask, uh, lean into your personal growth as a leader. Lean into your personal growth as a leader. 
as we grow as a church, we're going to need more people to step up to lead groups, to shepherd others, to teach. Um, and if you don't feel qualified, I can, I can certainly relate. I can certainly relate. You know, that list I just read, like I said, it, it's, it's humbling, right? Uh, but let's get specific about ways you can grow or areas where you don't feel comfortable. And, and let's work through those together. Let's work through those together. Wayside needs to be a church full of disciples that make disciples. So we need everyone stepping into leadership, leadership roles as you grow in your faith. So let us know how we can better shepherd Pray for you and ask God to grow you. Ask God to grow you in leadership roles to help disciple and grow others. Okay? All right, the final thing that we're going to look at today is, is really fun. Believers need to be strengthened through celebration in Christ. Through celebration in Christ. I love when we just sang songs, for instance. That is celebration in Christ. So picking up in verse 24, we see Paul and Barnabas pass through the rugged mountain path of Pisidia to the lowlands of Pamphylia, arrive in Perga where they started, and then they descended to Italia, which was the port town of the region. And there they set, from there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commissioned for this missionary journey. Right? So we showed that on the, on the map earlier. And then in verse 27 it says this. This is what we'll talk about celebration. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, so they're, they're back they're back now in Antioch. They gathered the church together. They declared all God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So I can only imagine this just has to be an amazing, an amazing scene as Paul and Barnabas recount, recount this journey that they had. And notice this, really important. It says they declared all God had done with them. Not what Paul and Barnabas did, what God had done with them. God was the one working through them to give faith to new believers, to perform these miracles, to rescue them from, from danger. And for these things, there's much cause for celebration amongst the church. And, and you can be sure that this helps strengthen the believers and the church in Antioch, as Paul and Barnabas shared the details of, of their journey. And the same is, is true for us. The same is true for us. When we share and celebrate things like restored relationships— when we share and celebrate things like healing from sickness, when we share and celebrate family or friends coming to faith, and we, when we share and celebrate overcoming sin struggles, uh, friends, our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened. One of the most beautiful aspects of being in Christian community is that we can encourage one another as we celebrate God at work in our lives. And I'm really guilty of this. As I was writing the sermon, I, I, I felt convicted about this. Uh, gathering together as a corporate body of believers like we're doing this morning is on Sundays is a celebration of who God is and what he's done in our lives. Sometimes I feel like we get into this rote exercise of let's go to church, let's go to church. Every time we gather, it needs to be a celebration. It needs to be a celebration of what God is doing and has done in our lives. We need to be a community that treats Sundays like a celebration with thanksgiving, with worship to our Lord and King. And Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't wait to get back. They couldn't wait to get to back to Antioch to celebrate all that God had done through them on their journey. They knew God would be glorified, and it, they knew it would encourage the believers there. So I love, I love to get reports from our ministry partners uh, celebrating what Christ is, is doing. And, and I have a few pictures today. Th- these are some of the pictures that I get that just light me up, right? So... Mehdi and, and uh, you have the pictures? 
Okay, so that's, that's Mehdi being baptized by Alliance there. Mehdi and Ali were baptized by Alliance a, f- a few weeks ago. I got to catch up with our partners in Frankfurt on Friday um, talking about the Heim. Some of you guys know about the Heim um, that we have there. 60 refugees staying in this Heim. Uh, two came to faith. The last report I got was 30 of the 60 people are now going regularly to church each week, and they're inviting other refugees from other homes around the area to church with them. Um, Man, that really, really encouraged my faith this past Friday, talking about the Heim. Um, I love getting reports from the source, uh, just talking talking about um, abortion-minded women, uh, seeing them come to faith and keep their babies I love hearing about what Andy and the RBI folks are doing, sharing Christ with underprivileged youth through, through baseball and uh, mentorship. I think we got a picture of that, too. Um, and the list goes on and on, right? Young life, young lives, fostering hope, Macarios, uh, Family Restoration Coalition. There's more. There's more. But, man, when I get these emails talking about some of the work that God is doing that encourages me and it builds my faith. So I, I just love to celebrate these things. Um, so friends, I, what can you share? <laughs> the ask here is simple. If you have something celebratory, share it with someone. Share it with someone in the church. Share it with a friend that will encourage and increase, increase their faith. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text message or I've sent a text message that was perfectly timed to provide much-needed encouragement. God works through our words of celebration and victory. Is there someone that is going through something you struggled with at some point in your life? Seek them out and share how God brought you through it, right? God uses those things in our life as part of our story so we can pass that on and encourage other people that might be going through something similar. Has someone's friendship or encouragement really helped you with your spiritual growth? Tell them that. Tell them. Tell them. Encourage them with that. Is God using certain scripture to delight your heart right now? Share that with others in your discipleship or community groups. You guys get the point here. We need to be a group of believers that celebrate what Christ is doing in our lives and in our community. And it will help us to grow collectively as believers in Christ. So friends, what are we taking away from today? I was really convicted by the passage as I think about cycles of my spiritual growth. Cycles of my spiritual growth. We simply can't be content to, to believe and, and coast, as I call it. As I mentioned earlier, here's the challenge. We're getting into summer, and that's a natural time of the year to coast. So we have to push back on this and challenge ourselves. Challenge ourselves to grow. Uh, challenge ourselves to grow during this season. We need to be committed to community groups, committed to discipleship groups. If those don't work for your schedule, reach out to our leadership, and let's talk about something that does work for your schedule. Um, We can figure out how to help with ongoing discipleship for what works for you. Also, we can't be content to let new believers walk on their own. So if you know a new believer, offer to help shepherd them in their walk with Christ. We need to be disciples that continue to learn and disciples that make disciples. And as we grow, we need to look at how we can take on new leadership roles within the church. New leadership roles within the church. To do all these things, we need to be strengthened through discipleship in a local church with pastoral leadership where God is celebrated. So I was so encouraged to see how important this was to God and Paul and Barnabas in our passage today. And it's been a great reminder for me, a great word 
really relevant for our lives today. So hope you guys enjoyed uh, walking through that with me today. Uh, Next week, John is going to be up here to open up chapter 15. We're going to look at the Jerusalem Council. They're going to start discussing whether these new Gentile believers should be subject to to the Mosaic law. So looking forward to that. Let's, uh, Let's pray together.